Hey everyone, welcome to the Truth About Real Estate podcast. On this episode, we're talking real estate investing, passive cash flow, and how to get your investment money to pay you twice with Chris Miles. Thanks for being on our show, Chris. Look forward to talking hey, to you. Hey, it's absolutely. Yeah, absolute pleasure to be here, Matthew. Appreciate it. Cool. Uh, just talking to you at first too, you know, previously you've been doing money ripples for over 10 years already. And previously to that, back in like 06, you were a financial advisor. So I really mm -hmm. wanted to jump in with you and learn more about, um, you know, getting your investment money to pay you twice, talking about what it means for cash flow and why it's important to create passive income and become financially free. Yeah. I mean, ult ultimately our get our whole whole goal is to become financially free, right? I mean, we want to be able to work because we want to, not because you have to, right? Um, even if you don't stop working, at least have the option to know that you don't need that job or you don't need that business income coming in all the time. Uh, it takes so much pressure off and just gives you a completely different life than what people would expect. And uh, it's funny because, you know, in 2000, you know, 2002, really, so it was 20 years ago, um, I actually became the mainstream traditional financial advisor um, in hopes that I would learn about money and be able to help my own family and friends be able to become financially free. And it was always about someday, right? It was always about save everything, spend nothing, save it forever. And hopefully someday you might have something, right? And it's always, <laughs> if you really think about it, it's always the same dumb answers. Um, I mean, they make it seem complex, right? They make it seem like it's so out of our league that you have to be a genius to figure this stuff out. But really when you break it down, it's, financial advice is kind of like Mexican food. It's the same ingredients. They just give different <laughs> names to it, right? Because burritos, tacos, fajitas, they all have the basic same ingredients. You just, you know, they just package it and call it a different name differently, right? Really, yeah. you know, when it comes to financial advisors, it, they just sell you insurance and mutual funds. And that's it. That's all they offer. It, they're paper assets. They don't have any real tangible value. You're gambling. They tell you high risk creates high returns, but that's a horrible way to invest. That's how you become broke the rest of your life, right? Um, it just doesn't work. And uh, and after about four years, I was in that in that field. I realized I, I like evidence. I like to know that things actually work. And uh, and four years in that field, I started to have some doubts. And then of course, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And uh, I had a friend named Doug. You know, Doug had reached out to me and. Um, yeah, actually I reached out to him. I went to wish him Merry Christmas and happy new year right before 2006. Right. And, uh, and I was hoping to hear that he was broke because he told me that back in, you know, August of that previous year, he was going to do real estate investing with his dad. And I was mad because his dad was going to invest money with me and then decided to put it into real estate instead. And of course, when you're a financial advisor, real estate's never a good option. Right. <laughs> yep. So, um, I, I hoped to hear that he was broke. And I heard the exact opposite, right? He was, he was doing flipping and things like that. And he's like, Chris, my dad's already doubled his income as a professor at the local university. It's amazing. We're doing great right now. And I said, come on, that's too good to be true. There's no way that could be the case. And finally, he, he questioned me. He said, Chris, how many of your clients are financially free? Like where they don't worry about money. And I said, not worrying about money? Oh, that's like none of them. Because they all worry about money. Even the retired physicians still worry about whether the retirement will last long enough. And, and take, take note of this too, because if you're someone that thinks that saving your 401k or your IRA is the answer, you're going to find out pretty quickly it's not. Because again, these people have been saving like crazy. These were even like depression mentality people that were trying to save everything they had, right? Live cheap. You know, they're the type of people that use up all their leftovers, eat everything on their plate, yet they still couldn't be financially free. 
And then he asked me the bomb, you know, the, like this big bomb he dropped on me, right? He said, Chris, how many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions that you're earning, but actually doing these investments too? And I thought about guys that were in my office working since the late 70s, and none of them, none of them were financially free. None of them could stop working. They, 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 they could only stop working if they kept having commission renewals coming in for people keeping their money under management. That was it. And so he said, there's your problem, Chris. And I was like, well, give me the answer. He said, I won't give you the answer. You just got to argue with me, Chris, that, you know, real, that real estate sucks. And I'm like, fine, I'm open-minded. Give me something. And so, you know, he started introducing me to guys that were doing real estate. Back in those days, we didn't have podcasts. It was AM talk radio, right? So locally here in Utah, there's a radio station we're listening to with these, you know, real estate investors talking and stuff. And, and the next thing you know, um, March of 06, I had to quit. I couldn't be a financial advisor anymore and, and know I could stay in integrity because I knew it didn't work. It was broken. Um, and that's, and that's where I changed course, you know, and, and eventually 2007 came out of retirement. You know, I actually was able to retire myself, become financially independent in 2006. And then I came out of retirement in 2007 to start teach people how to do what I did. And that even includes, uh, going, you know, going through the recession, getting my butt kicked and having to get, you know, out of the rat race a second time, uh, because I was, you know, so broke, I was over a million dollars in debt. So I had to dig myself out of that hole slowly so that by 2016, I was able to get out of the rat race the second time and be financially independent then. And, um, and that's really what I'm doing is on this crusade, really, of helping people become financially free, where they're financially independent. They have got passive streams of income coming in where they don't have to worry about whether they get laid off from COVID or whatever dumb thing that's thrown out there, you know? Nice. I like it. I'm glad that, you know, you've, you know, gone through everything and, you know, you learn to become a financial advisor, you learn the benefits and then uh, for, for yourself, exa exactly. And then also, you know, why it didn't make sense and how now you're on this crusade to really help people really learn to create financial literacy and what it really means and how to help people and how they can use that to really create their own personal financial freedom. Yeah, you're right. Like I talk to financial advisors and I see people doing it. I don't have my own personal financial advisor. And the reason being is I'm a real estate investor first. I choose to invest yeah. my own money into my own investments that I know. But that is also based on an expert skill set over time and learning through trial and error uh, throughout the years, right? It takes time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like one thing I saw too in the beginning when I first started investing in real estate is that, you know, some financial advisors were trying to sell me. I'm like, looking at the back end of it and looking how things are run, like what's really happening behind the scenes? How good are they at doing their job? What are they actually selling me? What are they telling me? And even mm -hmm. after talking like to them for many years, I'm like, those numbers don't make sense. And what you said in the beginning doesn't even match up to what it was later. You can't, yeah. be, you can't create that future prediction, but you can use historical analysis. You can forecast and you can, you know, provide, you know, economic data to give me your projection on what's happening, but it can be totally wrong. Yeah, and you can see that. But like for you, for example, you mentioned tangible assets. Real estate is a great mm -hmm. tangible asset because it's physical. You can see it. You know what you're investing in. You know what you're getting into. You, ha you have the control to invest into it and know how to add value, hopefully, with the right vendor team to build up that wealth, right? And create the income. That's right. I mean, it's it, it was such a big awakening for me, you know, in 2006 when I started to see like what was possible because- you know, again, I was always indoctrinated into that accumulation mindset, right? That theory of you save and save and save in these mutual funds, and then you live on two or 3%, right? The 4% rule, we even questioned back then. And now even Wall Street Journal said, you know, a couple months ago, the 4% rule doesn't work, 
right? But people still think they can become fire, financially independent, retire early off the 4% rule. And it's a complete bogus rule, right? It's two or 3% max that you should be pulling out of a mutual fund. So think about it. Even if you save up a million dollars in mutual fund, you get 20, 30,000 a year, and then you get taxed on it. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. That's, that's yeah. below poverty. You're a broke millionaire, right? That's below You're a millionaire living, living below poverty level with income. No wonder people keep fighting for social security. They, they can't do it without it, right? Um, and that's what I'm finding. Versus like when I woke up to what was possible is, well, hey, what if I only made 1% a month on that million dollars? That's $100,000 a year, right? I mean, that's insane. If you think about it, 12% return is 120000 a year income. And if it's in real estate, it's tax advantaged, right? And you and I both know we can make a heck of a lot more money than 12%, right? Especially with yeah. total returns and tax benefits and everything else. But it, it's just not even a comparison. And it's less risk. The problem is we get a lot of people out there, like I had somebody comment on my YouTube channel once. They said, yeah, well, that's nice, but sorry, I can't find anything that gives me 12% on the real estate game. That's really hard to find. It takes too much time for most people. I'm like, I don't even find, I don't even go and search for properties. I actually use turnkey providers. I, I'm a completely passive investor now. I don't do the active flipping and wholesaling or things like that anymore. Um, I do more just passive stuff. I, I have somebody else find the property for me. I just buy it. I have somebody else manage the property for me. I don't manage it. I just have to buy in the right areas. Nice. And I like that. And that's such a different way because when you look at income versus just accumulation, right? I call it acceleration over accumulation. When you really focus on that income, it becomes so much easier to achieve your goals. You know, um, in fact, I just got off the phone or a Zoom call with one of my clients who is on track to become financially independent by 2024 in just two more years. Crazy thing is, is that he didn't even have a hope of retirement. He wants to retire with about a, about a 20000 a month lifestyle, right? 20,000 a month income to do that in today's dollars. Just remember that's 200, 240,000 a year, right? To even have that kind of income, you have to have at minimum saved up roughly about seven, half, eight million plus dollars in mutual funds. And I'm that's telling really you, hard people to get. aren't saving that much. <laughs> yeah. So learning about this too, like, you know, when you go back and you think about it, like you look in school, there's not really, they're not really teaching you real financial literacy no, in no. school. They're not educating you. Even college, they're not really teaching everyone that course. That should be like one of the main topics in life, financial mm-hmm. literacy and how to build wealth and generational wealth and how to, you know, learn about taxes, tax savings, advantages, and how to, you know, build your business, right? That should be a yeah. main course on it, but we're not learning that. Even you see like mm-hmm. Will Smith is creating an app and working with people to create that for everyone because yeah. everyone needs it. But when I look back in time, you see all these financial advisors, you see them trying to sell you products that they say, and they saying the 4% is great. And like, realistically, it's not, it doesn't help you. It doesn't beat inflation and you're getting taxed on all this. And they're not telling you all of it. They're just saying, this is the best, smartest way to invest your money rather than a bank who puts it at 0.1%. That, that gives you nothing. Yeah. Okay. That's one way to do it. Did you explain all the other ways to do it? No, you're just selling your way, right? That mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's the best way. Why don't you educate your, your clients on there's multiple ways, there's multiple risks. It really depends on your lifestyle, what you want. Here are some options, but that's not what yeah. it means, right? As a real estate agent and a real estate investor, hey, clients, here's multiple different ways for you to invest, different styles, different types of products in real estate. Here's your options. 
Let me know what you want, your goals, your timeline. Let's work together towards that goal. And by the way, talk to your CPAs about it. You know, real estate has a tax advantage. You know, institutional investors are invested heavily in real estate. Are you invested in that? Why not? Mm -hmm. You know, money-wise and time-wise, you have options and choices. Like you just mentioned at first, you became more of a passive investor versus an active investor. And I think that's great. Even I am too. Like I'm active and yeah. passive, but I realized mm -hmm. this too. Time is money. Our time is valuable. You want to enjoy life. You want to work hard or do you want to clean toilets and fix everything? It's not really yeah. worth that at this time period. And I get it in the beginning to make money, to learn how to do it, to understand everything. Great. Do it. I did it when I was young. I remodeled the whole house when I was younger. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, the passive income is really good, especially out of state in my California. Those oh, yeah. numbers can be dramatically different and so much better. And it's passive. And I, I, I want to educate people. Take a look at that. Take a look at what real estate syndications mean, what real estate investing out of state means, what's real mm -hmm. estate syndication funds, how do they work, how do they diversify, what's a 506B, what's a 506D, how do mm -hmm. you get into these, and how does that number compare to your local market and as active versus passive, along with the tax savings, and see what yeah. makes sense, right? But once you realize right. that and you start looking at cash flow, looking at those opportunities, you realize there's a way bigger picture out there than people realize. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you mentioned California because a lot of my clients come from California. Right. And, uh, and they're always saying like, yeah, I've got an investment property. I'm like, great. Sell it. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you don't even know how much I'm making. I'm like, I don't have to know. I already know you're not making that much on it because it's California. You know, same thing with Oregon, Washington state. I mean, anything in the Western half of the U S even where I am in Utah, I wouldn't dare buy my own backyard because the numbers are just so horrible. You know, now if you're flipping or doing wholesaling, totally different story. But if you're trying to be a passive investor, Absolutely not. Like, I have a client right now. In fact, I was just emailing him just uh, last night. Um, he has an investment property that he has 700000 of equity in it, but the net profit on the property is $200 a month. <laughs> I'm like, Ouch. man, we can yeah. take that same money, put it out east, and that, that 200 a month or 2400 a year could easily become at least seventy, eighty thousand 80000 a year. Um, just taking that equity and investing it out east in the southeast or midwest or something like that you know it's so much easier out elsewhere um and that's the thing the the numbers and the assumptions i think it was what throws people off because most people that i talk to they they think that real estate is now risky because of the last recession right because out of all the last six recessions one actually affected real estate prices negatively and then you know, then people are thinking now forever, oh, real estate's risky. It's bad. You don't want to be, you know, put too much in because you lose money. But they don't say that about the stock market that's gone up 13 years in a row, which it's never done in history since the 1800s when they've, they've had it. They've tracked it. Never before has it done more than six years in a row until the last 13 years. And what are we seeing? We're starting to see now the bears or the bear market's coming out finally, you know, <laughs> and there's a massive correction ahead. And, and the problem is like, I remember telling people as a financial advisor, Hey, you know, large cap stocks make 10% average since the beginning of time, small cap make 12% since the beginning of time. And so that's where the total 12% return came from. Right. Here's the truth though. You look at the actual yield, right? So what I do is I just, you can do this. If you're, if you're a calculator type nut, like I am, you can go to the S and P 500. You can go back 30 years. You can go back pretty much to the month, you know, to like January 1st or whatever, of, of uh, 1992 and you can look at the price of that date and you see the today's price in the stock market go and put that in, in a compound interest calculator you'll come up with about an 8.4 to 8.5 percent return over the last 30 years 
of an actual average, not 10, not 12, 8.5, despite 13 biggest years in a row. That third, by the way, the last 13 years, the actual return has been about 14 and a half percent average, right? Way above and beyond what it typically is. Usually when I see it, seven to eight percent is the typical number. So we again, this this got to come back into balance. So when people say, hey, well, I've got my, you know, teachers got their 403Bs, people got their 401Ks, and I get my match, I get the 100% match. Guess what? That match, you start doing the real numbers and the math on it, you might make, if you're lucky on a 401K, 9% a year average long-term. And then you get taxed on it. Yep. Compared to real estate, where I know I can make at least double digits uh, at, at 10% conservatively, um, and that's even in a syndication or something like that. But most of the time, it's usually in, well into the teens, 20s, 30s percent per year. Such a different way. And again, regardless of what the returns are, what's the actual income coming in? Once you start to see that, you start to realize, wait, all this high risk, mediocre returns in the stock market compared to lower risk, higher returns in real estate, why would I do anything different? As long as I have the right connections and I'm doing the right things, the right deals, it's, it's a no-brainer. You should not have... Really, in my opinion, unless the market tanks 80% in the next couple of years, I probably don't want to have a single dime in the stock market. It's too crazy, too unpredictable, no control where I can have more control, less risk with real estate and still get better returns. Don't ever believe high risk creates high returns. Low risk is what creates high returns for real investors. People that say high risk create high returns are gamblers or financial advisors. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think there is some sense of it is that people want to have fun in stocks. They say they want the control, but I also think it's a part of gambling too, because really what control do you have in the stock market? You don't own these companies. You don't know the inside out Zero. financials and everything going on behind the scenes at any time. It's just news and speculation that can kill the deal. Right. And cause the mm -hmm. stock market to go start going down. And you see it right now too, like everything's dropping like crazy. I think long-term wise, if you look at big leaders like, you know, Amazon, Tesla, and those companies, I think they're going to be fine over time, but you got to be willing to bear that cost of, you know, feeling that, you know, high pressure and up and downs of losing money and making money. Mm -hmm. That's risky. But I think like, you know, it gets boring to do real estate investing long-term. It can be boring. It can be a lot of fun, but like it's a long-term yeah. strategy to build wealth. The compounding effect to that, the tax benefits to that, the residuals on it is huge. And you think mm -hmm. about it, you know, you don't need a lot of money to start, but you got to start somewhere no. and start building it up. But people don't realize that. And I think it's because if you look at majority of people, oh yeah, everyone does stocks. I should do stocks too. And I see it all over mm -hmm. the news because they're selling it to you. Of course, real estate <laughs> investing. I don't see everyone talking about real estate investing. I don't see people saying, hey, I can put in 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 to start. They don't talk about mm -hmm. that. And where do I go to find that? Yeah, That's a challenge. It's true. You have marketing against you, don't you? I mean, it's it's just like the news in the media. We we all have we, anybody with half a brain knows that the media is not very trustworthy, right? You know, it's basically wherever the money and wherever the influence goes, and and that's true with with companies like Fidelity and Merrill Lynch's of the world, right? I mean, the the Morgan Chases and all those kind of things. All those companies are trying to sell you something where they make a guaranteed cash flow, right? They make a guaranteed return by charging you. 1% plus origination, not origination fees. I'm sounding like mortgage broker now, um, but you know, they're actual fees, right? They're, they're charging management fees for your money to go in. Even if you don't realize it, even if you buy an S&P 500 index fund, you still have to pay even a small fee. You're, th that's where they make their money. They don't gamble their own money in these places. They let you gamble your money and risk it all. They tell you to 
save, like I said, like save more, you know, keep saving more. They used to tell me back in the day, save 10%, you'll be free. And then about the time I was about to leave being a financial advisor, they bumped it up to 20%. They're like, eh, maybe you need 20%. And now the truth is you probably have to save about 100% of your income to become financially free, you know, to, to at least live that kind of lifestyle. Whatever you want to live on per year is about what you have to save per year for the next 30 to 40 years in a mutual fund, right? So if you want 100,000 a year, you got to start saving 100,000 a year right now. It's, it's ridiculous. So remember, there's all that marketing advertising. They put billions of dollars to advertise and market to you to buy their stuff so they can make those guaranteed returns by their assets under management. And, and you, and you don't want to get caught in that game because like you said, people aren't really doing that with real estate. People aren't saying, Hey, I'm going to pay with assets under management. There's people like us out there, but they put so many rules and regulations that you can't even really come out and openly promote it. Unlike the, you know, the big boys in the, in the financial industry, they can promote and say whatever the heck they want. They just have to put little fine print says, you know, and you know, past performance is not indicative of future results and they could advertise whatever the heck they want to you. Right. So you got to be careful of that stuff. You got to walk away from what the mainstream is doing because the mainstream does not become financially free. Why would you copy that? Why would you copy something that hasn't worked for mainstream America and it has not worked for even financial advisors? They aren't free either. So why would we keep investing in these places? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I see that too. And then even when talking to them, like, hey, what, for example, in the stock market, what tax advantage are you getting on that? How are you writing off? How are you doing cost segregation? How are you getting these benefits? What's the real number after the fact of taxes? And they're like, uh, talk to your CPA about it. Go figure it out. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> investor syndicators, you know, talk to their CPAs. And they're like, you know, technically it's about half, right? If you give me 8%, it's technically half. So that's 4%. Wow, wait, the investing market makes more than that. And, you know, and with all the benefits included, mm-hmm. why don't I look into that? But then they don't tell you that, right? So it's a little tricky yeah. in that sense, but I think people need to educate themselves the mainstream media and see what's really going on and see how real investors are really building up their portfolios, what they're doing and how they're talking about this. Now people are talking about, you know, uh, infinite banking. They're talking about asset management and syndications. They're talking about tax benefits. They're talking with their team and they're creating teams now to focus on this. And yeah, if you look into the big walls, they have family offices doing this all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, how do you build up your own assets and become a part of that? And those your are all mini offices. Yeah, you're on mini yeah. office, right? That's right. Yeah. So it's funny because like I've I've seen people with you know four hundred one k's right. Like they, I had a guy argue with me on Facebook saying like, "Hey, well, I get a tax break on my four hundred one k." I'm like, "You don't get any tax breaks to four hundred one k. There are zero tax advantages to a four hundred one k or an IRA. You're just tax delaying. And do mm-hmm. you really think you're going to be a lower tax bracket in the future? Like, unless your plan fails miserably and you're again that broke millionaire living on twenty or thirty thousand a year, sure, maybe you might be. But if you actually, if that thing actually works, then, then it's not going to be a lower tax bracket. You're just delaying your taxes to a future date. That could be a much higher tax bill than what you're paying right now. Um, I think that's the thing that just drives me nuts. And you, you mentioned infinite banking. I get a lot of people say, well, I've been max funding my 401k. Well, I want to retire before I'm 60 anyways, because any good plan should, if you want to retire earlier than 60, you shouldn't keep putting into a plan that makes you wait till you're 59 and a half. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That always drives me nuts too. And, uh, and, and someone's like, well, where do I put this 401k money? I'm like, we well, could hold it in cash and just deploy it and invest it by real estate. I'm like, or you could do, like you said, like infinite banking fund that, especially if you get what I call a max ROI, infinite banking don't, I mean, that's one thing too, by the way, infinite banking, most of the time is a bunch of crap, <laughs> you know, um, almost every time I see, again, they're just like financial advisors, but they're insurance agents. Right. Yeah. And they're selling you 
crap, you know, and they'll call themselves infinite bankers, but it's always about, Hey, well, someday you'll have this retirement stream. Like, but instead, like, you know, you can, if you do this right and you design it just the right way, lowest cost possible, maximum return, lowest death benefit, you can actually get that money working in there and you can take that money out and invest it at the same time where you're earning money in two places at the same time, you know, making a spread. And so even if you were making 12% a year on your investment, you can easily make at least 14, 15% a year, you know, using your life insurance versus using the, uh, you know, checking your savings account normally to do that. So there's, there's cool strategies you can do way better than 401ks and IRAs out there. Yeah. And I think a part of that too, really is like, okay, in the beginning as a newer investor, you got to learn all these different terminologies. You got to learn what it means. You got to learn how they work. I think when you start becoming more advanced at it and you start building a team, you got to understand the team and find a team that works with you, not for themselves. But when you start understanding that there's actually a cycle you can utilize to do everything at the same time, but you need a really good team of lawyers, CPAs, real estate investors, agents, and uh, financial planners in a sense to Mm -hmm. say, Hey, how do I use all these tools together? to maximize my best interest and my best tax savings and go through that route. But in the, to that time, it takes a certain amount of time and money to get there. But once you start mm-hmm. realizing that, hey, these are what the people are doing up there and here's how you start doing it at a smaller scale and build it up, then you can figure it out. But yeah, the terminology of that is complicated because even in banking, you need you know corporations, for example, you got to talk to lawyers, you got to talk to CPAs, you got to talk to these providers, but it can create some different, different um, opportunities. But if you don't understand it and that gets more complicated for them. Yeah. It can be so simple too. Well, most of the time people do overcomplicate stuff, you know, but you're right. Like it needs to be the right coordination, the, all the right elements in there. So you need to make sure that things do work, you know, from a legal standpoint, that you have the right protection in place. So you don't have everything law, you know, taken away from you because somebody sues you and wins. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there are ways to protect your money and protect your assets so that you're, you're essentially yeah, I wouldn't say bulletproof, but pretty dang close, you know, where, where you're definitely not going to make an attorney very happy trying to go after you if you do it right. Um, yeah. Same thing on the tax side, you know, minimize your tax burden, right? So that you start keeping more of your money. And you know, I, a lot of my clients, they're, they work full-time W-2 jobs, especially in the IT industry. I get, I, I don't know what it is about the IT industry, but I get so many people and they're all from the Bay Area, by the way, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're out there like IT managers saying, okay, you know, I don't get any tax benefits. How do I get tax benefits from all this? Right. And make sure you coordinate that strategy to make it work right so that you do minimize those taxes. You do keep more of your gains and you actually create what I call this income snowball, where you take that passive income and you reinvest that and you just keep building that passive income each year so that you get to the point where you are financially independent, you know, where you're not dependent upon that paycheck or some boss that tells you, hey, you know, our business has got shut down because we're considered a non-essential business. Sorry. You know, you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Yeah, that hurts for those people who can't even run their businesses right now. And yeah. speaking about that too, um, so when you think about, you know, investing in real estate, investing in general, like I think people need to really start becoming more aware. Like I think people are kind of like running on autopilot right now. I think people need to become more aware. They need to ask more questions. They need to do yeah. it with their CPAs. Like, for example, some of the good investors I know, we meet with our CPAs like four times a year at least. Mm-hmm. And that's a minimum. And it doesn't matter if your job is the same, everything's still the same. You got to ask questions. You got to have someone on your team to say, hey, how do I do what I do? How do I maximize my benefits? How do I maximize my tax savings? What can I do better this quarter? How can I spend more, spend less? How can I increase my incomes? How do, how, yeah. how do I take advantage of tax, uh, tax benefits to increase that? But you know, at the end of the day, are you really making more money or are you really netting more money? 
some people say I make a lot of money. Yes. Like, great, but I look at your taxes. That's <laughs> bad because you're not netting more money. You're just spend, making more and spending some, but you're mm -hmm. not netting it correctly, right? There's so many different ways and obstacles that you can net it better, right? And they don't, not all CPAs tell you because some CPAs are busy. They're just doing so many taxes. They don't have time, but you need to find the right CPA who says, okay, based on what you do, here's how you can increase that benefit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I call it active accounting versus passive accounting, right? Because yeah. you know, most accountants just take your numbers at the end of the year, spit out your, your tax bill or whatever you owe and say, here you go. Yeah. Um, but, but you need somebody that, that does strategize with you. Somebody who really gets in, in there and says, all right, based on your situation, here's what you could be doing. Right. And it's not just after the fact it's mid-year, like you're saying, even if it's just a mid-year, one mid-year meeting that you're doing, great. That's better than what most people are doing right now. You know, do something where you can actually get, you know, get involved, really strategize better. Uh, I, I just, like I told that one of my clients, they're saying, well, what do I do? Like I've got a bunch of money sitting in the IRA. I'm in my fifties, but I don't want to wait that long. I want to retire sooner. You know, how do I pull this out? I'm like, well, we, we can do some things. We can even put in like oil or mineral rights and, and get some write-offs there, but let's talk to the CPA. Let's make sure that we can do this in the right way so that we still keep the minimal amount of taxes coming out and penalties um, all while investing so we can make that money back faster. Right. Um, and that's, and that's the thing is this, it requires actual planning. It can't just be you. And the likelihood is you're going to have to change your team as time goes on. You have to change the team you talk to, changing the advisors you talk to, changing the accountants and the, and the attorneys, because as you progress and grow, your team needs to progress and grow too. You need to up level just like a video game, right? You know, every time, you know, you might start with that wooden sword in level one and, and you can't kill anything, but eventually as you start to gain experience and you start to gain more and more, great. You can up level to that metal and then eventually you got the diamond sword or whatever you've got. Right. And now you can just take on the world. And, and that's the same thing with your investing. You've got to keep growing and progressing because you can only grow and progress as far as your team lets you grow and progress. And I think it's mostly because, okay, you know, we, we understand COVID is going on. We understand everyone has families, life, busy work and everything going on. But realistically, yeah, yeah like if you think of it like a game, you got to build up the levels like you mentioned and keep growing. But at the same time, I think in today's world, a lot of people just sit back, relax and like just let life pass by and they don't look at this opportunity. But if you actually think of it as a gamification and you're building financial wealth and it's, it becomes fun because I'm trying to build generational wealth for family. I'm trying to build this thing up and really look at all the things. And yeah, working with teams and building it up, you cannot do this solo. You cannot win the game solo. You got to have a team and start finding it and changing it over time. Because uh, like you mentioned too, like investors, financial advisors, whatever, where are they at in their career? What have they done for their business and how can they help you? If they haven't done any of it, they might not be the best person for your team. That's you know? right. So that's a part of it too. And you have to let go sometimes to grow. You got to walk away and say, Hey, I need someone to motivate me. Who's your best five people in your network, people who haven't done yeah. anything, you know, or people who have done a lot more and you can't be mm -hmm. working with the best in the beginning, but you can start scaling it up there. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I like to look for when I look for experience is, who's been there, done that, and most importantly, still doing it today, right? Because, you know, you, you know, we, there's so many of us in the real estate space, right? And uh, I know people that maybe have been there, done that, uh, but if they haven't been doing it today, they don't have that experience of like hands-on, boots on the ground, you know, getting a finger on the pulse type of person, you, the information you're going to get is probably not going to work, right? You need someone who actually has that kind of experience, you know? And so, if you want to be in the real estate side, you know, you got to make sure that if you're using a CPA, they actually get it, you know, and maybe they don't have to have a million properties, 
but they better have a lot of clients as well as themselves that at least have that real life experience to say, I get where you're coming from. I know what, what you understand or what you're trying to accomplish here. Here's how you do it. Right. That's, that's the best way to do it. And yeah, I couldn't agree more on that one. Yeah. And that, that becomes a lot of fun because I talk to my CPAs about like, Hey, here's where I'm at today. Here's where I want to be. What can I do better this quarter, this year and go at it and really start adjusting everything. But, and when you start running your, you know, financials and showing them, like, here's how you projected, here's what's going on. And they start maximizing taxes, buy more real estate, yeah. buy more active, buy more passive, have the passive write-offs, you know, and then utilize that for your actives. Then I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes total sense. I get it. You know what I'm doing now. And you start building it up. So you have a, a goal in mind and you know a target and you can focus on that target. But if you don't know and they don't tell you and you, you don't mm-hmm. you don't have experience with others, then you're just sitting there blindly in the end of the year. Oh, yeah, your tax bill is huge. Why didn't you tell me about that earlier? You never asked me. I was busy. <laughs> you're busy. Yeah, you, know, you, didn't, you know, you didn't tell me you want more to do more, right? I thought you were just living your yeah. life. So that's unexpected for some people, right? When they start seeing the bigger bills as they grow and tech people, especially too, they make a lot of income, but like, where's the write-offs on your W2? Like, what are you doing? You just living yeah. in your nice, beautiful house uh-huh. and paying a lot of taxes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's, and most people just get caught up in, in that, that the hard part I've seen in the last, really the last decade is that people have now been lulled into being, uh, feeling that they're safe, mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think, and this always happens before any type of economic crash or market crashes and things like that. There's always this feeling of euphoria, right? Like it seems like nothing goes wrong. And and you mentioned about like asking better questions, right? Like people stop asking questions. They just say, oh, well, it seems like whatever I do works. So they they get mentally lazy and, uh, and it's really easy to get caught in that trap where you think you're doing just fine. You know, like, like when I get people that come to us and they'll say, Oh yeah, I got a couple investment properties and then I analyze them. I actually told somebody just uh, a few weeks ago, I said, well, cool. You did a good job on investment properties. Only problem is that we could actually probably generate an additional 30,000 a year from that, that equity because your return on equity is so low, right? You know, you're just not getting the returns you should be getting. And and they thought they were awesome. They thought they were the best thing, you know, best investors ever. Like, you know, you could do better. Like you could do much better than what you're doing right now. And by the time we got to the end of the, of, of the call, found out we're like, we could actually improve your cash flow by $73,000 in the next 12 months. <laughs> you know, like that's, what? that's significant, you know, and that's huge. And then, and then they're like, well, yeah, but can I? Like, trust me, I'm, I'm even being conservative. You could probably do more. I just don't want to overpromise anything. So you could easily break 80 to 90,000 in the next 12 months, but Let's keep it reasonable and, and keep your expectations lower. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good part of it too. And then the people who talk to you and talk to other good investors, you know, who are doing mm-hmm. this and trying to really focus on investing and helping people grow their wealth, it matters. And it's good to, you know, get that experience, share what you've been doing, how you do it and what they can do better. But most mm-hmm. people don't reanalyze their property every year. They don't really analyze their investments. In stocks, they might look at it because it, you have a fun app to look at that goes up and down. But in the real estate mm-hmm. market, like what are you looking at? How are you analyzing it? And are you actually talking to local experts on how to what what could you do better? Yeah. You know, that's exactly Especially it. The properties, because you know how like real estate assets, okay, the the multi-unit's nice, it's okay, but they don't sit there and constantly improve the building, constantly raising the rents, constantly mm-hmm. improving the asset, right? They didn't give us now it's a house, now like, people live there, now there's things like that. But hey, it's also a business, it's also your investment, it's also your money and it's your benefits. Are you maximizing that? No, I got lazy and tired, I don't want to deal with all that. 
<laughs> right? That's a part of it. Exactly. That. So that's why passive investing route actually helps because they're actively doing this. They're actively managing, taking care of everything, looking at the financials, looking at the benefits and maximizing everything as possible. But in yeah. the active world, you're, most people are not doing that. No. Well, and that's why you really want, uh, even if you're looking at a syndication, right? When I mean, you're looking at a syndicator or a deal operator, I'll tell you, when you're looking at a syndication, it's much more important to look at who is doing the investing versus what they're investing in. Because at the end of the day, the performers all look awesome, right? They all look kind of the same. You know, they're, they're usually showing like at least a 12, 15, 18 plus percent IRR and all that kind of stuff, right? But at the end of the day, what you really have to be asking is, all right, is this person, like, is this person following their own rules? Are they putting their own money in, putting their own skin in the game? Are they actually, are they actually confident enough and not, not overconfident where they got prideful and lazy, but do they put it through a system? Do they have a system where they eliminate most of the deals that come across their table and they only get down to those few that actually pass their criteria? Do they even follow that criteria nowadays or do they get lazy, right? Yeah. Um, if you're not going to be active, you need somebody who will be that active so that your money's safe as a passive investor. Yeah, I think part of that too, like when I talk to, like I'm a real estate syndicator. So when I talk to clients and investors out there, you know, I see mm -hmm. people wanting to do the active, but at that at the end of the year, we call them next year. They haven't done it yet when they exactly. think about it. And a part of it too is like, okay, well, I don't know. I don't know because I don't, I haven't tried yet to look into syndication, to look into operators, to look into what this all means. And when we educate them too, they're like, oh, I can do that. You guys can do that. You guys help. I didn't know that's possible. And you have mm -hmm. all these benefits. Okay. Let me take a look at it. But then they don't dive in to look at it because it takes effort to look at it and like people get stuck on what they're used to oh i'm used to investing myself i'm used to doing this and that but i don't have the energy or i want to learn more because i'm tired to learn what mm -hmm. you're doing how you're doing it why it's better for my family and they pass right so a lot of people in life yeah. just pass on everything and later when they start seeing your results year over year over year they're like i should invest years ago i'm like well that's what we've been telling you you should invest years ago whether you invest in me or not you should be investing period but I understand everyone's tired in life, right? Mm -hmm. It gets hard. But when you start focusing on the getting to that 1% of what you want to become, then you start like digging in. And when you really have your mindset, you can really get at it. And the people who are educating like you, Chris, yeah. who are educating people out there, they start diving in. And that's the fun part. When you start seeing people who are actively inv uh, invested with us, looking at our, our education, how we help them and realizing, hey, there's more to life than just being a normal worker and just living passively, right? I don't want to live passively. I want to live actively. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, that, I completely agree. I, I tell people like, you know, even if I don't work full time, like still, I want to have like a full time mission, right? You know, that kind of thing. And there's always got to be something more, you know, something that goes beyond that. And uh, yeah, you want to have an active life versus having to be actively working your tail off. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk more about like what is cash flow and like what does that really mean and why is passive investing really matter? I have a good job, for example, and I make good money. Why do I even need to bother with this? Yeah, I mean it's it's true. I mean it money is like air in many cases, especially when times are good, right? Um, you never think about the air you're breathing until there's not enough of it, right? And, uh, and the, the one trap that people are in, like all, all of our clients are pretty much like making at least six figures a year, some making seven figures a year, right? Um, the, the, the thing we get lulled into to be in, you know, in this scary place is that because you make enough money, you don't have to really be a wise steward of it. And, and you kind of get used to, in fact, many people make a mistake that if somebody just because somebody makes good money, they might make millions of dollars a year, but 
that doesn't mean they're smart with their money, right? They might be good at generating income, but they may not be good at keeping it. They may not be good at actually building wealth. That's a very important distinction. And so if you're making good money, awesome. Take advantage of that because we don't know how long that's going to last, right? Ideally, in a perfect world, it's going to last forever, of course. But the truth is, like, I always pretend that, you know, it could dry up at any moment, that something could go wrong, even if it's just life circumstances get in the way, right? Something happens in your personal life. It could be with your health. Something could happen to disrupt those things. How do we ensure that you're safe? So when I talk about cash flow, I really talk about, really, what's the difference between income and expenses, right? But um, the difference between me and like a Dave Ramsey is I'm not about living on rice and beans and, and all that kind of scarcity crap, Right. Um, Dave Ramsey is great if you're broke. Uh, he is not good if you're pretty much talking like what, what Matthew and I are talking about here, right? Where we're talking about somebody who's making good money. Dave Ramsey is one of the worst advice you could be taking right now because he doesn't help you build wealth. He helps you get to zero, but he doesn't help you get past the zero really well, right? So uh, when I talk about cash flow, I'm talking about what's the difference between income and expenses. Um, and again, not having to live cheap, you don't have to live on rice and beans. But it's about being a wise steward of the expenses you have. Can we reduce expenses within reason? And can we increase income, especially on the passive income side, right? The bigger this gap, the more freedom you have. The closer they are together, this is called paycheck to paycheck. The reverse, this means there's too much month at the end of your money, right? <laughs> and uh, you're going to run out and you're going to just have to keep living on credit. We don't want to be there. And so even when we analyze cash flow, we look at both. We're like, hey, can we refinance mortgages? Um, I, like I mentioned that guy in San Diego, you know, like he has 700,000 of equity in that property. The one problem he had is he had a Dave Ramsey mentality. He's like, I'm going to do a 10-year mortgage and, and a 15-year mortgage on my property, 10-year on my personal residence, and I'm just going to pay it off. And I said, all right, well, great. Well, when you pay it off in six years, both of those properties, what will that free up? 4,200 bucks a month. Okay, that's 50,000 a year. And then I said, well, you've got all this equity in your house you're not using. You've got a ton of equity in this property that's underperforming because it's in California. How do we get that money out? Sell off that property, do a cash out refi of your own house, and actually the payment wouldn't be that much different. And you get money for free that we can now turn around and invest. We can actually net you about a seventy to eighty thousand dollar net profit here. This is a net rate of return. By the way, remember he was hoping in six years, eventually when he's debt free, he can have fifty thousand a year. Year one, get him to seventy to eighty thousand, and then by the time he gets to year five or six, he's over a hundred thousand a year versus just that fifty, right? So it's always about looking at how do you maximize the situation. How do you again get those expenses reduced uh, within reason so you're not just living in a cardboard box, uh, but get those to a good place. Get your taxes reduced. You know, make sure that you get minimum monthly payments on your on your mortgages or, or whatever loans if you have the loans get those reduced. You know, do we make sure you're tracking your money? If people aren't tracking their money, which happens a lot when you make a lot of money, you lose money. You automatically just lose money. Money escapes. And if you want freedom faster, just tracking your money alone. Uh, I had somebody find an extra 1800 bucks a month just because she started tracking her money. She didn't even have to change her lifestyle. She just got more responsible with it so that she didn't just blow it randomly because there was money in the account. Like that's the kind of stuff that we want to do. Uh, but I'll tell you, most of the time when I meet with clients, um, most of the time they're usually the ultra savers. They're already tracking their money. Uh, their big problem is they have money locked up in prison. So they have money locked up in mutual funds or in 401ks and IRAs. They get money locked up in equity in their home and or money just sitting in savings making nothing. And to get that money to actually start working for you, so you don't have to keep working so hard for that money all the time because you will burn out at some point. I'm in my mid-40s. 
you know, I don't want to work full time and I haven't for many years and I want to keep it that way. And, uh, and I think a lot of people are like me where they say, you know, I don't, I like working, but I don't want, I want to work on my own terms. I want to work a little bit more relaxed versus having this full time to overtime type of job. And, and that's really what we're doing. We try to get that cash flow increase, that difference between income and expenses so high that you now have more freedom. And that's ultimately what my shirt says right there is if I can get the right there, cash flow equals freedom, right? The more you have there, the more freedom you experience. See, that's a great thing too, because once you start realizing it's all about cash flow and building it up, and it's not cash flow and equity. Like for me as an investor, I love cash flow plus equity at the same time, which yeah. is hard to get, but it is possible. I'll give you a good mm -hmm. example. You know how we talk about California. In California, I help a lot of real estate investors buy in California and out of state. But even mm -hmm. in California with a hard market, there's really good opportunities that can be found, but you really have to know what you're getting into. That's for right. example, I'll give you one, one example. I helped my client buy a house in 2008 in a good area for 800k right roughly mm -hmm. and it's a good good property but it's only generating like a couple thousand dollar a month um you know income great that's yeah. not really that much cash flow but i told mm -hmm. him this even beginning this property is a great location it has a beautiful view you're going to make equity on this property and guess what in 10 years we made him over a million dollar equity gain and he got the passive cash flow over the time <clears throat> but here's that thing we 1031 exchanged it into an 18 unit building with that equity and yeah. you didn't have to put more equity in. And th let's say this, the, for the previous single family home generating about 50K a year income, right? The mm -hmm. new 18-unit building generates 270000 a year income. And then what happens in the next five to 10 years, I'm going to make him another million dollar in equity. Plus, we're going to give him from 270 income to over 350K income. He's like, wow, I'm basically financially free now because mm -hmm. the net, net on that is over is um, way over 80K plus a year, actually over 100K a year on net yeah. income. And that's just bonus because he still has a job, still does his thing, but you're getting from almost nothing to over 100K a year net. That's amazing. And now you add all the tax benefits we're going to utilize in accelerations, then he'll get even more. Yeah. That's, that's the fun part that's, of it. That's, that's what I love about it, right? It's it's so much different. And, then, and you even said it earlier on, you're basically saying profit. You know, that's the key is how do you create that profit from it, you know? And that's really what cash flow is. It's just profit. But in your personal finance, it's not just in a business sense, right? It really is. It's like how we create as much profit as we possibly can and an acceleration. You weren't just accumulating money. You're trying to accelerate it with all those extra growth and extra returns you get from real estate. And again, it's a real asset. It's not like, it's not like, you know, I mean, not to di diss on the crypto space, right? But even the crypto space, as hot as it has been, um, the problem is, it's still, it's not a real asset. There's not that tangibility factor there that creates that stability or predictability for you. It's, I mean, really, we're just riding waves as we're playing in crypto space. I mean, that's what you do. You play in the crypto space. You don't invest. You don't get rich, um, you know, long term, just trying to guess, right? The best way to do it is to do things that are predictable and stable and know what you can actually create. Just like you told him, you're like, yeah, we'll get you to 350000 a year. You know that because... It's just math, simple math. And mm -hmm. uh, when you get into that kind of space, oh man, it's it's like a whole burdens lift off your shoulders that you could just say, wait, this is what planning, quote unquote, this is what I call anti-financial planning, right? This is what planning really is. This is this is what it should look like where I can predict it. I don't have to wait 40 years to see if it actually worked. I can see it working real time and, and adjust along the way to a point where I get real results right now. 
Yeah, that's the fun part of it too. I really wish there's like, you know, more education on that and showing people and more people see the benefit and really start thinking about it. And I see younger and younger people doing it now and they're doing really well. And I love it because they're doing that and they're riding the wave. They're getting experience and they're learning from the people who've been doing it over the years. But I wish more people would do it. And even for myself, like, for example, I'm teaching my baby, my, my five-year-old, how to do this. I'm talking about it in, the, you know, simplistic terms, but like, hey, this yeah. is what could happen. And you can use examples for kids. Like, Legos, here's mm-hmm. Legos, here's expansion. Here's how you build it up. Here's what happens if that happens. And, you know, you slowly get it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the fun part on, on a dinner table. So, you know, for real estate investors, what's the quickest way? So you talked about a little bit. One of the quickest ways was look at your financials of what you're doing, how you're you're making and spending your money, keeping track as one of the ways to start building your wealth and realizing it. What's the next best thing for them to start and start realizing how to build um, cash flow and build wealth? I mean, definitely education is key, right? Um, I mean, that's why I did my own podcast, you know, for that very reason, because we we have to be teaching this stuff more loudly than what everybody else is teaching right now. And that does take a different way of doing it. But I'll tell you, I think the best way, I tell people all the time that my mantra has become, it's not about working harder. It's not even about working smarter. Because working smarter, which is what a lot of us try to do, is actually the wrong way to do it in many cases. Because it's not about working harder or smarter. It's about working right, doing the right things. Uh, This is why it's so important to have the right people, the right team, the right mentors. You know, if you have the right people around you and and they're all supporting and kind of saying a lot of the same stuff, it makes it easier to act in that direction. It's just like, you know, you you think of like the old wild west, right? And you got the horses pulling the carriage. If all of a sudden you had horses pulling in different directions, that carriage isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's probably just going to get ripped apart, right? And that's how most people's lives are financially. So if you can get that carriage all moving in the same direction and moving it fast, now you get that Wells Fargo carriage, right? Where you're you're actually getting that that real speed, that acceleration. And, uh, And so I think that's the key thing is finding the right people that know how to do it right, right? It's not about having just more information or education because there's so much information out there. You're just going to get confused and do nothing. It's how do I get the, the ability to actually act correctly, to do the things the right way. Um, and that's why it's always good align with those people. And, and you mentioned earlier, you mentioned you're in a mastermind group, right? And, you know, we all kind of be around the same people because we attract like-minded people in those mastermind groups. So when people say, well, Chris, how do you find your deals? You've vetted all these different syndicators and deals. How do you know they're really good? I'm like, easy. I mean, besides the fact that maybe I have money with them or they've been paying, they have a great track record. On top of that, we're all around each other. Like I don't go, I don't get attracted around people that have big egos and are really just a bunch of talkers, right? Um, I'm around people that actually do it, that kind of have that, what I call humble confidence, right? Like they know they're amazing, but they're just going to do their work. They're going to do it and just be amazing at it. And, And that's who I surround myself with. People that are those kind of people, they have good integrity. Like they'll, they'll take money out of their own pocket to make sure investors get paid. Like we, when you get in those kind of groups, you realize like anything you're attracted that we always, we, we tend to want to gravitate around one another. And the people that don't fit in that group feel icky. They don't want to be around us. You know, the people that are the smooth talk, talking salespeople don't want to be around us as much, but those of us that are that way love to be around each other. So when you get the right people on the team, you'll start to realize that they all have people around them too. And you can have that access to those, that network of people that takes you to a whole nother level. Nice. I, I completely agree. And that's the fun part of it when you have a great team to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so going off to what are the seven secrets to freeing up cash today? 
Yeah. So I'll go through really quickly, um, but you can find, you know, there's a, there's an ebook online on moneyripples.com. You can get kind of the actual longer version of this. Um, I mentioned tracking money was one. That's always like the first step, right? Track it. Um, I like to use mint. You know, I like to use things that are automatic mints owned by Intuit, which does QuickBooks. I use mint. It's free, easy app to use. Um, number two, I would say is, is start uh, looking to get rid of things, sell things, donate things. If you get want to get the tax benefit, but get rid of the clutter, get rid of things you're not going to use. My mantra is if you're not going to use it, lose it. Right. Uh, number three is look for tax advantages. I won't get into that today, but there are so many cool tax things you can do, especially if you get a part-time side business, even if it's short-term rentals or whatever it might be, um, or even just in the real estate game, right? You can actually start having things you write off just by having an LLC and use it in the real estate game, you know, passive or active investing. Um, you know, there's also debt. Um, one thing I tell people is ignore the interest rate. Uh, instead, uh, focus on cash flow. I actually have a, a formula I call the cash flow index. Uh, what you do is you take the balance of any loan divided by your minimum monthly payment and you'll get a number. The lower the number, the more you want to pay it off. The lowest number you pay off first. Um, now, the number should be below at least a 40. If it's not, like your lowest number is like 60, don't do anything. Keep making minimum payments on whatever loans you have. If you're a mortgage, by the way, if you have a mortgage, you want that number to be at least a 200. So if you've got a mortgage that's got like an 80 index, that means you're paying too much. You need to refi it, right? Um, so long story short, it, basically that's how I was able to dig out of that million dollar debt hole is I figured out what's going to give me my best ROI with the least amount of cash. Um, that's where I figured that out. Um, but if it's mortgages, car loans, you know, low interest type of loans, you know, you want to make sure that index below a 20 before you pay it off. So uh, the whole pay extra to your loan, especially if it's like mortgages and things like that, stop it. Don't do that. Don't fear debt because the truth is that right now debt could be one of your best friends. Um, if you use it wisely. Again, it's about stewardship. If you're going to gamble it away in the stock market, which is illegal, by the way, but if you try to do that, you're going to, you're going to suffer at some point. You don't want to do that kind of stuff. Um, in fact, I had a client who actually just shared on my podcast said that he actually, um, uh, his advisor, his financial advisor took half a million of his money that he got from a stock company, you know, an IT company that paid off, right? The tech company paid him a half million. He put it with the advisor. The advisor decided to trade the money on margin which mm. means that that half a million became a million because he decided to put, you know, get a half million of credit. Well, the problem was the, the stocks he put them into tanked during the last recession. Um, and he came back not with 500,000, he came back with 50,000 because they did a margin call, sold off everything, got their money back from the margin. Mm -hmm. And he was only left with $50,000. So uh, anyways, Ouch. there's wise ways to use debt and there's bad ways to use it. And, and, th and there's a lot of other ways to do it too that we've mentioned, but yeah, if, if you really want to get into those details, I just say get get download the ebook for free on, on moneyripples.com. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's really good to understand and see what people are doing out there. And yeah, margin calls are scary. I would not want to play in that field, especially right now, too, with everything going on. It's like too much risk. Like, why take that risk? It's, it can be fun in games, but that's a form of gambling, I think, you know, like really hardcore gambling. Oh, so, yeah. Like, it's crazy. Like, on real in. estate's great, but not on stocks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And those financial advisors, they get paid on the margin too, right? When they're doing it and investing out there. So Yep, that's right. You gotta watch where your money is really going, you know. That's so true. All right, great. Thank you so much for being on our show, Chris. I really appreciate it and learning more about investing and how you know you've been doing it, how you're educating your clients on investing and you know, why this makes sense. And I think everyone out there, be sure to listen to Chris's podcast. Uh, check out our podcast as well. And, you know, we'll go from there. See you guys later. Have a great day.